Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. As a qualified nutritionist, I'm here to strip away the nonsense and get down to the bare essentials of nutrition and wellness. Join us as we debunk myths, chat with top-notch experts, and serve up practical tips that will leave you feeling empowered. Get ready to uncover the naked truth about living your healthiest life. Let's undress. Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today I have a special guest with me. I have Amber Fisher. Amber is a functional nutritionist who specializes in PCOS and infertility and works closely with her clients to actually help them find the root cause of their disease and dysfunction and guide them through getting to the other side. So I am so excited for our chat today and welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's going to be amazing. Did you want to start off with giving us a bit of a rundown? Because I know that you do have a bit of a history and a bit of a story of your own journey. Did you want to share this with us and what kind of got you into this unique space in the health industry? Sure. Yeah. So I have PCOS myself and the health issues that I went through, especially in my early to mid twenties were probably the major catalyst for me becoming a nutrition professional in the first place. I used to work in like social services, so I was not interested in nutrition at all. Didn't grow up knowing anything about nutrition, but I was diagnosed with PCOS as a college student back in 2010. And that diagnosis was very scary and confusing for me. At the time, there wasn't a lot of information about the connection between PCOS and nutrition. And so I just wasn't getting a lot of answers. And so a lot of what I learned, I kind of cobbled together myself. But, um, you know, I remember back then being told, like, you know, I might not be able to have children and things like that. And that was something that I wanted. And so it was just a very scary time. And it got me really inspired to learn about nutrition. I just kind of had a a sixth sense that there was something more going on with it, that there was a connection there. And even though I kept being told, no, no, I just, I don't know, I couldn't let it go. So um, I ended up deciding to go back to school and get a master's degree in nutrition just to kind of like pursue that thread a little bit more. And about the same time that I enrolled in my master's program, I actually was diagnosed with endometrial cancer as a consequence of some of my PCOS symptoms kind of coming to a head. So that was an extra little push nudge in the direction of really focusing on PCOS. Um, Because I remember at the time feeling like, you know, having a bit of imposter syndrome and feeling like I wasn't quite qualified to, to help Mm -hmm. with, with PCOS since I was dealing with it myself. But Anyway, fast forward, um, it's been like nine years now and I've been doing this work and, um, yeah, I was able to kind of do all the things that I wanted to do in my life was able to have a child and all that, but I I definitely went through a lot of stuff with my, with my PCOS journey. And so, yeah, it's, it's very gratifying to be able to help other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think the fact that you've been through the journey yourself and now you're helping so many other amazing people through it as well is really, really powerful because it means you not only obviously understand from the science side of it and how to help them, but also you have that personal understanding and can really get what they're going through and how difficult it can be. For some people who might be on the other side of this being like, what is PCOS? I'm not too sure. Do you want to give us the general gist of what PCOS is and what some symptoms of PCOS are? 
Sure. So PCOS is a, it's a hormone condition. Um, It's actually the most common gynecological condition. Um, So it's very prevalent. I want to say that the most recent statistic is like 12% of women or something have, it's a lot of people who who are dealing with um, PCOS, but more than a hormone condition, it's, I actually think of it more as a metabolic condition because Mm -hmm. A lot of what drives the hormonal imbalances is deeper in the body, more connected to the endocrine, you know, metabolic condition and, and, um, and things related to that, which I'm sure we'll kind of touch on in mm-hmm. a bit, but, um, some signs that you might have PCOS, you would have to meet something called the Rotterdam criteria, which is a diagnostic criteria. Um, and it consists of having two of the three, either irregular periods or lack of ovulation, um, signs of hyperandrogenism. So that can be things like facial hair growth, um, sometimes like cystic acne and things like that. Uh, sometimes they'll even count like, um, carrying a lot of weight in the middle as a sign of hyperandrogenism and then polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. So one of the things that's kind of funny about PCOS is that you don't necessarily have to have polycystic ovaries to have PCOS. And that just kind of goes back again to how much of a metabolic rather than, you know, purely hormonal condition it really is. You live with PCOS your whole life. So even after you go through menopause uh, or if you have a, you know, hysterectomy or anything like that, you still have PCOS and they're, you know, lifelong sort of chronic health condition things that you deal with when you have PCOS. So. And so you only have to have two of out of those three to be. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And sometimes like with the hyperandrogenism one, they can, they often diagnose that based on symptoms alone. So it's some folks with PCOS don't even have like high testosterone on labs, but they, their bodies are showing signs of hyperandrogenism, like facial hair growth or excess body hair growth, cystic acne, things like that. So it's kind of a murky condition. I mean, I know one of the things we were kind of talking about is like, well, what's the, um, what's the cause of PCOS? Like what causes it? And that the frustrating thing about it is because it is so murky, there really is no known Mm. cause for it. I mean, there's obviously a genetic component and those who have a family history of PCOS, you know, more likely to have it, but there are also folks who don't have a family history of PCOS who develop it. I have theories on that. I don't know if you want me to go into (laughs) them, but you know, um, I just think we all kind of get thrown into a little bit of a basket, the PCOS basket. And we may all be a little bit different coming at it from different places, but we end up with this with similar symptoms. And so mm-hmm. that's why they put it here. So sure. And so going down the path to get diagnosed with PCOS, yeah. because I personally met quite a few people who have gone to so many doctors who have been like, no, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. And then they find one doctor who's like, yes, it is PCOS. Because obviously, as you're saying, you know, there is that murky ground, that murky area where maybe the the blood tests don't come back and say that the testosterone is high, but the body is suggesting otherwise with facial hair or um, cystic acne. So what is the best way to go about actually getting diagnosed with PCOS? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think 
it, it, sometimes we do. I mean, it obviously depends where you live in the world, but I know here in the United States, sometimes we have to do what we call doctor hopping, just trying to find somebody who will listen because mm. oftentimes, uh, I think particularly with PCOS, sometimes doctors are a little bit hesitant to even pursue that thread because there's not a whole lot they can do for it. Yeah. And a lot of doctors have the misconception that PCOS is only um, present in, in women who are overweight or obese, or that it's only worth kind of treating or using some of the medications like metformin that they like to prescribe um, if it's one of those circumstances. And so oftentimes, you know, folks who develop PCOS as they age, which sometimes happens, or those who don't meet like the standard box view of what PCOS looks like will be dismissed. So it's a little bit of a struggle sometimes to get that diagnosis. Sometimes I recommend, you know, asking for a referral to an endocrinologist um, and just kind of continuing to advocate for yourself because since there's not a whole lot that can be done for it from the medical side, you know, sometimes you have to really kind of push a, a little bit to get your diagnosis. The great thing about PCOS though, is that most of what actually helps with PCOS is actually lifestyle change and nutrition mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So that actually makes a much bigger difference than any medication that can be currently prescribed or anything like that. So once you know you have it, you can sort of follow that pathway. If you suspect that you have PCOS, you, know, you have a strong feeling about it, you feel that you meet most of the criteria, but you're maybe not able to get your diagnosis. It really doesn't hurt to follow a lot of the PCOS nutrition recommendations at the end of the day, they're basically healthy eating recommendations, you know, so it's not going to like harm you to eat your vegetables and get enough protein. Those are things that everybody should be doing. Mm. Um, and so if they help, you know, if you see improvements in your symptoms, you'll know that you're sure. on the right path anyway. So you may yeah. as well just kind of maybe even think about working with like a dietitian or a nutritionist if you're banging your head against the wall mm. and not getting any answers. Yeah, 100%. And those improvements would be things around the acne or, yeah. Yeah, I think the the biggest improvements that I tend to see early on when a diet yeah. protocol is working mm -hmm. would be clearing up of skin. That's a big mm -hmm. one. Um, weight changes, yeah. you know, usually reduction in weight. But sometimes when I'm working with people, they're coming to me not, not to lose weight, but because they um, are having difficulty maintaining stability with their weight, yeah. like they're going up and down and it's very out of control or they're, you know, they have out of control weight gain and nothing that they do seems to, to work. And so typically, you know, that's related to some of these underlying sort of root issues. And if you can get a grasp on those, you'll start to see improvements and progress with that type of symptom. Uh, and other great signs would be like improved digestive function. Uh, usually the facial hair stuff takes longer. The period, the irregular periods tend to take longer to kind of sync up depending on how far apart yours are to begin with. Um, if they're very far apart, it may take longer. If they're fairly close together, you may be able to kind of get them under control with just a little bit of tweaking. So it just, that kind of stuff really depends on the person, but you'll notice changes. Mm, and I guess it's about giving it long enough for it to work and to take time and to be patient with things as well. I guess the body's literally 
learning how to regulate and work and it's not a switch that we can just flick I mean be great right. if it was, but it's not yeah you know I mean anytime you're dealing with a chronic health issue I think you go through a grieving process when you're yeah. you know diagnosed with it because you you do have to sort of mourn the idea that you can dip your toe slightly in the water of working on something with PCOS if you want to really make a difference in your symptomology you can't just do it halfway you can't just kind of i mean it's it's great to make changes over time that's totally valid and i think it's important to take the time to grieve and go through that whole process of like getting to the acceptance point but you also have to be consistent and you mm. have to put in the work and it's a, it's a daily, you know, choice that you have to make to like choose to set up your plate appropriately for PCOS, for example, or to eat enough protein or, or whatever. There's simple things, but as you know, and probably a lot of your listeners know, it's one thing to know it. And then it's another thing to actually like yeah. do it. And then to do it all the time is, is even more than that. So it's always progress over perfection, but yeah, there's a consistency piece that definitely has to happen. Yeah. 100%. Like literally changing your lifestyle to fit and suit this. It can be overwhelming for a lot of people as well, but if we were to start with, I guess, the nutrition side of everything, what are some of those biggest changes that somebody with PCOS has to make, or what does that PCOS friendly diet look like? Sure. So PCOS symptoms tend to originate from kind of like three main places. And I, I talk a lot about PCOS root drivers. I don't necessarily like to call them root causes anymore because I think it gets people a little bit confused, but the, what drives your symptoms are sort of three metabolic issues. It's insulin resistance, which is mm -hmm. probably about 80 upwards of 80% of folks with PCOS, um, inflammation, which is almost every body who's dealing with PCOS and then adrenal dysfunction, maybe around 40 to 50% of folks with PCOS. So okay. these three sort of issues all have overlapping nutrition recommendations, but then they also differ from each other. So depending on where your symptoms are coming from and what's like your root cause, you know, where's your symptoms coming from, you may need to focus more in one area than another, but generally um, a diet that is moderate to high in protein is going to be key because that's going to help slow the release of, you know, insulin and sugar into the bloodstream. It's going to improve your body's insulin response. There's a feedback loop that happens when we eat protein that's really helpful for insulin sensitivity. And alongside that, and equally as important is a food, uh, a diet that's high in plant foods and fiber. So you need to have, you know, ample vegetables, fruits, I generally like the lower sugar fruits are better. They have more nutrition content, like things like berries and stuff. Um, but you need fruits, you need vegetables, you need uh, whole grains or foods that are going to be high in fiber legumes are a great one as well, because the fiber helps to slow that blood sugar response and it helps your body excrete old hormones. It helps your gut bacteria, which then help with your inflammation. Like there's so many jobs that fiber specifically does for PCOS. I almost think it's like the unsung hero of a, a PCOS friendly diet. So my general recommendations, as far as like amounts is like, 20 to 30 grams protein at each meal, 
30 grams of fiber minimum throughout the day, if you can get around there. And again, it's not like you don't have to be perfect, right? But if you can change your diet to be more in that direction, you'll definitely start to see improvements. From there, I mean, the biggest thing is just as much whole unprocessed food as possible, you know, and that that's similar across like any anybody, everyone, we should all be eating that way. Unfortunately, our world is not necessarily set up for that anymore, especially where I live, but um, we do our best. And, you know, as much as we can focus on eating whole foods, it's always going to be an improvement over, you know, anything else. Mm -hmm. 100%. And so when it comes to the protein side of things, what are some simple strategies? Because if you're wanting to be hitting that 20 to 30 grams for most of your meals, some people can be like, oh my God, how am I meant to get that in? Where do I even start with this? So what are some simple strategies that people can use to make sure that they are hitting that protein intake? Sure. So I think there's, uh, sometimes there's a misconception about protein that it's only meat. And yes. so folks who don't love meat are kind of like, how do I do that? About 30 grams of protein is about half of a chicken breast. If you're just looking at like pure protein, animal protein, whatever. So for most people eating half a chicken breast at, you know, lunch or dinner is not that much of a stretch, right? A lot of us do that anyway. But if it is, if you more tend towards like, you know, a vegetarian diet, the best way to get enough protein is to focus on your secondary sources of protein, right? So I do think most folks with PCOS benefit from having some animal protein in the diet, but you know, it doesn't have to be like everything you can do some fish and stuff like that. And then you can also add in secondary sources like legumes are a great source of protein. Um, quinoa is a great source of protein. Tofu is a great source of protein. So all of those things add to your protein total as well. And, you know, if you, count everything up for a day, just based off of what you're normally eating. Um, oftentimes you're getting enough already, or you may just need to make some tweaks. Um, dairy products can also be a great source of protein if you tolerate them. So I think it's, uh, one of the things I usually suggest to people is to write down everything that they eat on like an average day. Take like a food log of just an your average every day and then kind of count up what you're doing. What are you, how much protein are you eating? How much fiber are you eating? And once you have that data, you can use that to kind of tweak and add and subtract from different areas. And that prevents you from having to track every single thing you're eating every day. If you just take like a 24 hour food log every few weeks or every few months or something like that, you can just check in on yourself and then plan accordingly. But yeah, mm. it's not, I, I think it's not too hard to get protein in my opinion, <laughs> in my personal opinion. I don't know. Yeah. My clients tell me differently. Though. <laughs> I think you just got to think beyond just the meat right and as soon as you right. recognize and realize how many other foods still also have that protein in it it kind of takes a lot of that stress and that pressure off you like oh okay you know not every meal has to be a piece of steak or a piece of chicken breast there's so okay. many different ways that it can be tasty and delicious and at the end of the day it doesn't it's only as hard as, as you make it and I feel when it comes to a lot of nutrition things, we always try and overcomplicate everything. If we actually take it right back to basics and go with, like you said, the whole foods that are there, they're accessible, we can 
add flavors to so things taste good you're going to be so fine with staying interested and finding it quite easy to add those protein in which is yeah amazing absolutely i think a lot of things with nutrition are like like you said it's yeah it's as simple or as difficult as as you make it yeah. and it's okay to take your time making changes too. Everybody's coming from a different place. Yeah. As a uh, working in private practice, I've seen that, you know, mm. I've, sometimes I have clients come in and they grew up literally on just fast food, fried food. Like they ate, they never ate a home cooked meal. And then I have people who are coming to me and they were raised vegan, you know? And so it's like two so totally different paradigms there's shifts and adjustments that each person has to make, but for the person who was raised in a, you know, already eating a lot of vegetables and fruit, it's not as difficult of a change as for the person who never ate any of that. And maybe even has food aversions to a lot of that stuff or textural or sensory issues with some of those Mm -hmm. things. So that person's journey may take longer, um, you know, and that's okay. Like have grace for yourself where you're at, but it's just like one step at a time and, you know, one foot in front of the other and you'll get there eventually. 100%. Little by little, a little bit becomes a lot. And I think this is where it's so important for you to almost stay tunnel vision in your journey and your goals that you have and not comparing yourself to anyone else and what they're going through. I know that you touched on inflammation in the body and how people with PCOS really struggle with the inflammation or a lot of pretty much everyone with PCOS has that inflammation. What are some ways to start to reduce inflammation in the body? Sure. So inflammation is a definitely a complex topic because there's a lot of moving pieces with it. The reason we get inflamed in PCOS also varies. So if we're very insulin resistant, it can make us more inflamed um, because having that excess, you know, those blood sugar swings is very inflammatory. Um, holding a lot of excess body fat in the abdomen can be for some people um, inflammatory. And then having a really stressed out, like if your adrenals are really stressed, right, that can be inflammatory. But the biggest place that I tend to see inflammation come from in PCOS is related to the health of the gut, the health of the microbiome, which are the bacteria that live in the gut. And um, there's a big connection between PCOS and something that's called leaky gut or um, intestinal permeability is the fancy way to say it. But basically we, we tend to struggle more with higher levels of quote unquote bad bacteria, less bacteria overall, so less diversity, and more of this, uh, more of these like microscopic sort of tears in the gut wall. And over time, what that can do is lead to the development of food sensitivities. And those food sensitivities can then sort of feed out into an inflammatory, you know, almost like a, well, it's a food sensitivity reaction. So it's an an immune reaction to certain foods. Um, And that can be very inflammatory. So the place where I tend to like to start is with adding in more foods that are kind of gut friendly or helpful for the gut on an anti-inflammatory diet. So these are things like fatty fish, right? Like fatty fish, sardines, salmon, cod, like all of that is, is huge, very important, very effective for a lot of different PCOS symptoms, but inflammation being one of them and great for the gut bacteria. Um, 
probiotic foods, you know, foods like uh, kefir and, you know, really well done yogurt, things like that. Um, kombucha, sauerkraut, those things can be helpful in the right person. And then the biggest thing is again, fiber and plant foods. I was like, you know, constantly saying the same thing, but fiber is really the food for our beneficial gut bacteria. They, you know, we have enough gut bacteria that feed on saturated fats and that feed on, you know, some of these other things that we sugar and the things that we love to eat. Right. But we don't tend to have enough of the bacteria that feed on the polyphenols from, you know, plant content. So we have to work on eating more of those foods because if we feed those bacteria, you know, they're like little pets, we have to give them their food and then they grow and then they make more of themselves. And then we have a better balance. And when we have a better balance in the gut, the gut can heal itself. You know, we can start to repair some of these issues. Um, that's the, the simple answer. Mm. The longer answer is, you know, it, it can get a little complicated if you've been dealing with gut issues for a long time. And sometimes fiber is like painful and all of that. But um, if you start there, that's a great place to kind of begin something like the Mediterranean diet, you know, yeah. the official Mediterranean diet that, that the research studies are kind of based on. That is a great, you know, starting place. Mm -hmm. I love how before you said it kind of all overlaps a little bit each of these areas and it definitely does hey and I just think that it's just going back to focusing on those whole foods and really making sure that you're adding in rather than removing as well and I love that kind of mindset because I feel like when a lot of people get diagnosed with something and they have to make these changes a lot of the time especially doctors tell them to start cutting out x y and z or to go on this diet and it's really overwhelming and a little bit scary as well because like oh my goodness i've always eaten x y and z and now i can't have it anymore but everything that you're saying and the approach that you're taking is you know we're just actually adding in we're adding in more fruits and veggies we're adding in that fiber we're adding in the protein adding in the probiotics which i just think is such a healthy and a holistic way of looking at your nutrition and the way that you eat. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've done it the other way, you know, <laughs> like I've been there, done that, I did that with myself yeah. and forced myself to kind of like, you know, I've done keto when I was very first in nutrition, I put people through a keto diet. Sorry to my early clients, you know, I mean, I've made, I know a lot of things now because I've made a lot of mistakes along the yeah. way and I've kind of come to a more balanced place after seeing this in real people and, you know, understanding that there's a lot of nuance with health and science and nutrition. Yeah. And the cool thing about adding stuff in is, especially if you're adding in more fiber and more protein and more whole foods, they take up a lot of space in the stomach and they alter your hunger signals and cues. And so you end up getting to the same place that your doctor said to get to anyway, eating less sugar and, you know, mm -hmm. whatever else the doctor says to do, you end up getting there, but without feeling like, you know, they've taken away everything that you love um, because it's never that black and white. There's always gray area when it comes to nutrition and like how much of something is healthy and what moderation really means and looks like. So yes, I fully agree with you. Yeah. 
100% and it just allows you to maintain that healthy relationship with food and feel like you're not missing out and you can still do all mm-hmm. the things that you want to do in your life which is important what would you say are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions that you do hear about PCOS yeah misconception about PCOS I mean I think um a big one is that well, there's kind of two sides of the same coin. I Sometimes I hear people say like, like, if you just go gluten and dairy free, or you just do like this weird, you know, diet or whatever, you can cure your PCOS. Or on the other hand, then we've got a lot of people saying like, there's nothing that can be done. PCOS is a chronic health condition. I even heard somebody not too long ago say, because PCOS is a chronic health condition, it's like destined to just get worse as you age. Mm. And I'm like, that's so defeating and like <laughs> hopeless. Like, I don't know why you would say that. Anyway, that really rubbed me the wrong way. But both, you know, both sides are not, are incorrect. The yeah. truth is somewhere in the middle. Like we can't, there is no known cure for PCOS. I wish there was. I have yeah. helped a lot of people to re- fully reverse their symptoms, have great looking blood work, But in order to do that, they do have to make choices every day that are maybe different than what they would like naturally want to do, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not a cure. It is um, management of symptoms, really effective management. On the same token, like it's obvious that, you know, if we make nutrition changes, it affects the way that our insulin responds. It affects the way that, you know, how we are things like that and we know that from the research so to say that there's no connection there that there's nothing that can be done is really ignorant and it doesn't actually make a lot of sense if you kind of understand the way that food works in the body so both of those things are probably the biggest misconceptions i see another one that i see a lot of is that you'll never be able to get pregnant with pcos Mm. Really, most folks with PCOS, if they want to have children, are able to, you know, by some means. In in fact, a lot of us don't even need to use fertility treatments. But if you do, you have great outcomes. I had my son through IVF. And um, those with PCOS tend to have great results with IVF um, or other fertility treatments. We tend to be like the ideal kind of patient for those protocols. Mm. So um, there are methods and ways of, of getting pregnant. So, and I think almost like worrying about that piece can be more damaging to, to your fertility than anything, because that stress is so hard on your body. So just know there's the statistics are on your side. If you want to get mm-hmm. pregnant with peace, with PCOS, um, you may need a little help, but there's no shame in that. Right. Um, and then I guess the the only other one I can think of off the kind of top of my head right now is that PCOS only affects people who are, you know, overweight, which it do, absolutely does. And like they're, you know, we're all part of the same club here, like mm. not leaving them out. But there is a this group of of folks with PCOS who do, I think, get like kind of um ignored and that's the the ones who are you know very thin or low normal weight who have PCOS they tend to get dismissed a lot and not really get answers um because they don't look like what you would traditionally think of with PCOS and so um you know PCOS really has no connection no no real connection to your weight I think about 40 percent of those with PCOS are not overweight at all so it's about Mm -hmm. half and half you know it, it really doesn't connect except for the fact that some of the symptoms 
can lead to weight gain. You know, that, yeah. that is true, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think it's really interesting because it's challenging this idea that in order to have something, you have to actually look a certain way, which I think is so wrong. And in the society that we live in, I definitely think there needs to be a shift away from this, that your body and the way that you look and how much weight you have should never justify the treatment that you get or whether you do or don't have something. You know, everyone is entitled to identifying what it is for them individually and so I do think that that is definitely like a huge misconception that oh yeah and I mean it goes both ways a lot of my a lot of my clients who are overweight come to me and they can't get any help because the only solution that their doctor ever has for them is to lose you know 10 pounds or whatever and it it's not to say that that weight loss isn't you know can't be part of the picture because sometimes it is part of the picture, mm-hmm. but it's not the, it's not the weight loss. That's like making the changes. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like the weight loss is happening as a result of the lifestyle changing and going in a completely different direction. And the body is just responding to that. Um, so yeah, you look different, but mm. that's not what's different, you know, exactly. and that, that's not the core of it. So yeah. I completely agree. No, I love it. Now, I do have some quick fire questions for you. Are you ready for these? I'm ready. What is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up? Okay. I always have to start my day with a matcha latte. I'm somewhat addicted Mm. to matcha lattes. (laughs) I never got into drinking coffee and I used to not drink any caffeine. And then I started, <laughs> then I had a child and I started drinking matcha lattes. And now I'm like obsessed. I can't start my day without it, but Delicious. it's good for me. So absolutely. <laughs> what is one thing everyone can do every day to improve their life? I think a big piece of, especially if you have PCOS that you can do to improve your life is to find an activity, like a, a some type of movement that you actually like to do so I dance I do I take salsa dancing lessons I've done pole dancing before you know just think outside the box with the activity it brings a lot of joy to your life to move in a way that's fun I could not agree more and I think for so many people it's actually about thinking back to when you were a child what did you used to do did you create games obstacle courses outside did you roller skate did you play tag or chasey or on play on the monkey bars you still get to do that today and i think so many of us especially women we get into this state of we have to tick the next thing off the to-do list or we'll go 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 or the next task has to be done that we forget to stop and actually have fun and just play and just let that inner child out yes i so agree i think so many of us get stuck in this rut of thinking that exercise has to be so exercisey yeah. like we have yeah. to go to like the gym and lift weights or whatever. And that's fine. Some people love that. And that's great. I don't personally love that. So I've had to find ways to build strength and to get my like movement in that feel like fun. Like you said, like being a kid, I loved to dance when I was a kid. And so now I'm like, do it now, you know, and it's great. It It makes you want to go and do Mm -hmm. it. And it's good for you. Absolutely. Yes. What is your favorite quote and why? Okay. I wrote down, um, I have a lot of favorite quotes, but this is one that's kind of been resonating for me lately. It's by John Lovick. Mm -hmm. And it says, rest is not idleness. 
-hmm. And to lie sometimes on the grass under trees is by no means a waste of time. And I just love that because I'm in a season of my life where there's a, where it's a little bit slower paced. Yeah. Um, I'm a mom. I have a four-year-old. I'm at home a lot more than I used to be since COVID. I like closed my in-person practice and I'm all virtual now. And so I've had to really get comfortable with silence and get comfortable with my own mind and realize that, you know, this constant need to push and achieve and do things is not necessarily what um, is making me happy. And it may just be a bit of a trauma response. So Mm. resting is not idleness. It's doing something. There's important work that happens while you're resting. So So powerful. Now, one question that I love to ask all my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you're looking back at your life, what do you actually think will be one of your biggest achievements or something that you'll be most proud of? This could be something that you've already done, or it could also be something that you're hoping to do in the future. Yeah, I, this is another one that I've kind of been thinking about. Um, Mm -hmm. And Honestly, I I feel that I've achieved a lot in a short period of time in my life. I just turned 35. So I feel like I've done a lot in my life and I'm proud of the work that I've done with PCOS. I do think that that's one thing that I'll kind of go Mm. to my grave being proud of that I was able to find a new perspective on a really frustrating and confusing condition and help a lot of people with it. I'm proud of the education work that I've been doing lately too. I'm proud of the private Mm. practice. I think also personally, what I'm the most proud of is the work, the internal work that I've done on my own. Um, I'm, I'm like healing my own pain you know, childhood trauma stuff, the therapy work that I've done and just the way that I've been able to overcome, like I said, that sort of incessant need to be perfect, to achieve that all that imposter syndrome, social anxiety, people pleasing stuff. The work that I've done on that has been really hard. It's also mm-hmm. been very like quiet and not very public, mm-hmm. but that I think has changed my life more than anything um, and just allowed me to like be more grateful, more present. So sure. Probably Absolutely. And I feel like it's those, especially having a social media presence, right? Everybody can see these achievements that are posted, whether it's your client's success or your business or your child or whatever it is that you're sharing. But it's those ones that are going on behind the scenes that the person that you actually have to become to be able to create the rest of your life and to allow that to happen. And it's those achievements that you're the one who's celebrating in silence. So I think that's actually really powerful that you recognize that and are celebrating yourself for it because that type of work is not easy, but it's necessary to be done to get to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, specifically with like the social media stuff, I mean, that was, that was a a big goal of mine and I wanted Mm. to achieve, you know, I think everybody who's on social media does have that, like, obviously we want to help people and stuff, but we also want our work to be seen. We want to be appreciated for what we do. And once I kind of like climbed that mountain and got to the top of it, it was a, you know, kind of a difficult experience because I realized like, oh, this isn't actually what's going Mm. to make me like feel, um, 
feel good about myself or, you know, it's not the, the, the validation or other people telling me, oh, you're great at this, or you've helped me so much or anything. That's not really what's going to do it for me. I have Mm -hmm. to do that for myself. So that's been huge for me. And um, yeah, but it's good work. It's not always fun, but it's good. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. Did you want to tell the audience what you have coming up with anything exciting for them and where the listeners can actually go to find you? Sure. So I have day because I kind of play those by ear these days, but I have a course coming out on facial hair for PCOS. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just yeah. compiling everything I know about that and how to help with that. That should be coming out um, sometime November, or early December of this year, 2023. Mm-hmm. And then I also have two other PCOS courses that are like self-paced things you can do. Um, one's called PCOS foundations, one's called functional PCOS. So if you need help with meal plans and kind of like advice and stuff for your early journey. I think those are great um, resources. I also run a group program a few times a year with my friend Hannah, who runs the Conscious Nutritionist account. And her and I are going to be running another cohort of our PCOS Essentials Academy starting at the very beginning of 2024. So Mm. if you sign up for my um, newsletter, then you'll get information on that. And if you want to do that, I do have a root cause quiz that you, your listeners might like, and it'll also sign you up for my newsletter. So I'll send you the link for that. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll put all of these links in the show notes for easy access for all of the listeners, but thank you so much, Amber, for coming on and sharing everything that you have with us today. It's actually been such an incredible conversation. And I know that so many people will be walking away with some aha moments or recognizing some areas that they want to start on for themselves and their journey with PCOS. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Amber. I really hope that you got some key takeaways from it. I would love to hear what your one top key takeaway was. So just head over to my Instagram, which is KJ Wellness with three S's, because as always, I love connecting with every single one of you and having these conversations based on these episodes. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day or the night whenever you're listening to this, and I will chat with you in the next episode very soon. Until then, you take care. Bye.